Maximizing Your Potential. This is the Human Performance Podcast with Dr. Craig Duncan. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Craig here, and this is a special episode. It's an episode from our other podcast, The Soccer Doctors. You might have heard me referring to that a number of times, and it's a podcast that I do with my very good friend, Dr. Andy Harper. Uh, We grew up together, went to school together, so we've had a long relationship and we discuss all things soccer, football, sport and and life. So it's, it's quite enjoyable and I know I enjoy doing it. So this was a recent episode we did where Harps interviewed me about a recent trip that I went on with the UAE national team that I've referred to a couple of times in the last few podcasts. So I hope you enjoy it and please go and listen to The Soccer Doctors and I'd love you to subscribe to it. G'day everyone. It's, uh, it's, it's been a while, and this is a big leap of faith. Andy Harper back here, and I'm joined uh, in quarantine. I'm not in quarantine, but Dr. Craig is back from quarantine. Um, I'm not back. I'm still in it. I'm oh, still in it. Well, you're back, from your, you're back from your adventures. Anyway, we hope you've all been well, and uh, we, we can only imagine how much you've been keenly anticipating the next episode of Soccer Doctors, because honestly, it's going like wildfire, this thing. This <laughs> Pretty much every corner shop I go to, it's the talk of the town. It's quite remarkable. It's a great brain brainchild of yours, Craig. Um, anyway, um, welcome back to Australia. I, I thought we'd update people on where you've been, and then um, just going to get you to tell us about the experiences because I'm sure you've had some great ones. So, as as everyone who follows football will will remember, will recognise that we've just gone through in Asia uh, the 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 hub situations for the end of the second round of World Cup qualifying. And the Aussies were in Q8, the soccer has got through unscathed. And Dr. Craig was seconded by the UAE Football Federation um, to provide this, his, his expert sports science advice to the UAE national team, who are in a bit of a pickle going into this um, final hub to qualify for the next um, round three phase. and. So Craig was invited by former soccerers coach Bert Van Mark. We'll fill in all the details about that. Um, but we're back, people. We're back. <laughs> the docs are back in town, yeah. and Craig's in quarantine. Yeah, is that it, what you call it, Craig? Yeah, I, 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 it is. It is quarantine. I'm. Um, I mean, do you call it quarantine when you're held against your will? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I'm. I mean, I'm not. I'm not putting my hand up to be here, am I? I'm, I'm, you know, like I, I'm in a situation where I'm waving to my wife and my my kids that are down on the street. And um, but no, that's a that's another matter. And and interesting enough, you are right. I've been away, and I didn't tell anyone I was going away. I kept that uh, kept that quiet, and uh, so it's been a, been a good experience. Pardon? Why? Why did you keep it quiet? Oh, I just I, I just didn't feel the need to. Um, actually always tell people where I you know where I am and which country I'm working working for but we've now worked uh, worked for a few and uh, and this was a really interesting experience I was really proud to work for the UAE um, 
the second team in the Middle East that we've worked with in recent years after working with Iran uh, for the 219 Asian Cup. So that was enjoyable. And then, then this one was a good experience as well. And the opportunity to work with Bert Van Marwick and, and his team again, um, uh, I, I really looked forward to that because I had a great experience with them with the Australian national team. So it was good. Yeah, so is that where this all, I mean, how did this come to pass? Because he didn't recruit you for the Russia World Cup, did he? No, he, in actual fact, I was... So talk us through that sequence. Yeah, well, well, when um, Ange recruited me for the Australian national team and then I worked for uh, for the Federation as head of sports science for that, that cycle. And then when Ange departed um, then, and Bert came in, you never know what's actually going to happen because uh, most, most coaches have their own, own people. Uh, however, Bert was really good and his team was really good. Uh, I met with them and they were impressed with the work that we were doing. And then we built that relationship and then during the World Cup uh, and the preparations for the World Cup, we had a great experience working together. So we kept that relationship going, um, particularly with one of his or his assistant coach, Rule Koomans, uh, Mark Van Bommel as well. I, I, I kept in close contact with when he was at PSV and, uh, and Bert himself. So when they originally went to, to UAE, uh, it it wasn't possible for me to work with them then. Uh, and then they actually were with UAE for a period of time and then they left UAE and then they came back at the start of this year. And then we started chatting then. And then this, these four games that we just had, you're right, they were really under the pump because uh, they, they needed to win every game to go to that next stage of the World Cup or the round three of qualifiers, which is the final stage before the actual World Cup. So they had to win four games in i think it was about 11 days 11 or 12 days no 12 12 days um in you know really high temperatures difficult conditions against a really good couple of nations you know thailand is a a very very good nation um vietnam was on top of the group also had malaysia that that are, are difficult and and indonesia so it was a interesting experience uh, we had a couple of weeks camp before then and then into the into the competition. Then I left after the last game. So what was, you know, what, just describe the experience. Like, like, what does camp mean in UAE? And are they doing this whole COVID thing in the same way that we are? I'm assuming not because you left and went straight into work, whereas when you come back here, you've got the two weeks of quarantine. So they don't worry with quarantine in the UAE or didn't in your case? No, they've just done things a lot better in some respects than maybe we have. Now, we look at what we've done here and we're excited that we don't have any COVID cases or very minimal COVID cases, and that's that's been great for a period of time. My concern is, well, we're 18 months into this thing now. How are we going to keep our borders closed forever? Where Dubai is built on tourism, and that they did have some lockdowns and some quarantine in the past, but they're a country, I think they're the most vaccinated country in the world now. You've right. nearly got the, uh, I think it's over 90% have been vaccinated. Masks, Fully vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. So masks are compulsory um, whenever you go outside. 
uh, I had no, no quarantine when I came in. I was tested every three days while I was there. And interesting enough, Harps, nearly every worker over there is tested at the start of every week. Um, so they're, they're very onto it um, as, as far as that goes. They get a couple of thousand cases a day. They're still reporting, but their testing numbers are enormous. And they basically have got on, got on with life because they have to, uh, because Dubai's, uh, you know, areas built on, on, on tourism. So how much did it affect then your, what would be a regular training camp scenario? How different was it? What did your oh, days look like? It wasn't at all. Um, well, okay, let's, let's put it this way. So we had two weeks of a training camp where we're, where we're, you know, based, um, uh, based in a part of Dubai and, and, you know, it's summer there now. So it's very, very warm. So you don't train in the, in the day. We had a gym built for us in the hotel. Uh, so we used that during the day. And then basically, um, you know, we would have a, a meal at five o'clock and then start to have injury prevention work at 6.30, seven o'clock we'd leave for training, eight o'clock training would start in the evening. So then we'd train there after recovery and then come back and have a meal around 10.30. That's very much the, the United Arab Emirates, how, how they, they live. They have dinner very late um, and then sleep quite late and then sleep um, later than, than we would here. For that couple of weeks, it wasn't um, impacted very much at all. I could still go for my run outside and, and everything. In the 40 oh, degrees. Yes, I, um, I was doing that because I have an interest in heat and, uh, and an interest in... <laughs> You're in the right place for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always talk about how we adapt to heat. And look, I'm not advocating going and running out in 40 degree heat. But you do adapt and you've got to be, be careful. And there's no doubt that there were some days that I ran in that heat that were uh, quite extreme. Um, but when you monitor yourself carefully, you, you can get through it. And I'm not talking about running two hours, you know, everything sort of under an hour and then looking at your heart rate and being, being very clear with yourself what you're doing. But you do adapt uh, quite incredibly. Um, however, when the qualifiers came up, then, that's when we uh, went into a, a like a, a biosecurity bubble, and right. so besides training um, and games, we were not allowed out of the hotel, and we were tested every three, two to three days. Right. So, but you, you just adapt. Um, and we weren't allowed. You know, there was only certain parts of the hotel that we could use. We're very fortunate. You know, we had an entire floor. And on that floor was an enormous business type lounge. And we were able to use that. Um, our meal rooms were, were very large. And we also had built our own gym in the hotel in one of the meal rooms because we weren't allowed to use the hotel or any outside gyms. So- Was this all under your advice? The, the, no, like um, a lot of that had been, been done. I mean, Bert has some really good people working for him. And the federation uh, is is really good there, and um, the people working there uh, before had identified the need need for that, so they purposely built that uh, that gym. So um, 
that was. So how did Bert? How did Bert cope with all this? Was it different for him? What 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 was his stories about how how this is all being dealt with in Holland? Oh well, it was very interesting speaking because you know there was a significant Dutch staff, and you know I get on um, very well with this Dutch staff. Uh, you know, in my history, I haven't always got on well with some Dutch people that have come to Australia, but that's another story. But um, but uh, definitely these these guys I get on very well with, and the Dutch people historically are quite um, strong-minded. So the what I was told there that people um, are really against the lockdowns. Okay, so they're quite rebellious about that. Um, not rebellious, you know, they're just wanting that freedom. They've had uh, significant cases there and they've gone through lockdown periods. I suppose I could best describe it as, as one of the coaches there. He was telling me how his mother had passed away, um, I think in December, and my dad had passed away in December and we're talking about that. And I said, oh, was it due to COVID? And he said, it wasn't COVID that killed her, but it was COVID that killed her. Right. And what he meant by that was that all the nursing homes were locked down like ours were. And she was a very social lady and liked going out on her trips and that sort of stuff. And that was just completely taken away. So you start to lose the will. And that's the issue I have, Harps, because, you know, if the solution is worse than the outcome, mm. you know, like when's enough enough? And yeah. I, I don't know if we're really looking that long term in, into this. Um, you know, about the mental health of, of people. And yeah, losing lives is terrible. But, you know, I remember on the early days, it was about getting ahead of that curve. So we had enough hospital beds. And um, like, can you tell me, Hubs, uh, what is the government's plan for us as far as no, these no. borders? I, I don't know. Um, like a lot of people, you, you follow it, and you try and work out what's going on business needs to know families need to reconnect Australians need to be repatriated it's a very it's a it's, it's a very um, very gray very confusing area you can't you can't help but think it is it is running cheek by jowl with the political cycle which is I think really cynical if true and and really really going to start irritating people if it becomes the case and well, if that's the case, and if it becomes apparent that other parts of the world are shifting into gear pretty quickly, and Australia's left behind, I, I, I think the community sentiment uh, might spike. But then, it, of course, it's always countered, which which works in Australia because Australians, you know, by one estimation, are very conservative people, um, and it's very easily countered that line by saying, "Well, you know, we've had we haven't had a thousand deaths, and we've got zero transmissions." We we, we shut things down as soon as there's hint of a breakout and a part of part of the prophylaxis is closing the borders um, and, and in the Australian in the Australian scenario it's, I think most people are going to find it up until now hard to argue against that um, but what I suspect might happen from here on is if there's no time management offered to it then increasingly people might start looking sidewards um, and wondering, you know, what, what is going on here? But um, well, yeah, it's a good, it's a good point you make. I want to share with you um, an experience I had, like I, I um, had my first shot of vaccination before I left. 
AstraZeneca? And, yes, I did. Yeah. And um, You're sticking with it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I will because that's what's recommended at the moment. I Look, when you really look into the literature and the real research and you look into the numbers and that sort of stuff, this this issue with the blood clotting, um, even though real, um, it's, it's minimal. And uh, I think it's under the spotlight at the moment with this vaccination, but all vaccinations might have have their issues but that's my choice that that's my choice however whilst i was over there i had the opportunity that um very early when i was there to go and get vaccine in um in uae and i started reading about the mixing of vaccines you know so having one shot of astrazeneca and then getting a shot of pfizer um now the there is some preliminary studies on that that show that that's safe and actually might even be a positive positive thing and so i was thinking of getting that done so i went with some guys to the vac a vaccination place in dubai uh easily and, accessible oh and this is what i want to tell you okay so we're overseas people okay so obviously we're working for the government or the you know the uae national team um, and then we go to one of these vaccination centers, which were many, uh, go in one door and get checked off and then go through. And it was incredibly, uh, I, I was so impressed how good this was um, and efficient. How, how efficient and well-structured uh, this whole process was. And it was all Pfizer. They'd originally had uh, one of the, I've forgotten what it's called. Uh, it was a vaccine developed in China. Uh, they took yeah. that down. I think they had some AstraZeneca, but now they're, they're doing all Pfizer. And I, we, we got through and there was people coming in, coming in like a conveyor belt, just so efficiently run well done i got to the point where you know i was going down and sat down and was getting uh interviewed and uh you know everyone's quite well uh, english speaking in the uae and then the sort of the director that was walking around he had a chat and i said look I i've had a shot of astrazeneca and he and i said what do you think um about getting a shot of pfizer you know and even though i'd done that research he, he said, oh, look, it's good you've told us that. And I, I, I wouldn't recommend it at this stage. And then I started, you know, really thinking that the research isn't published. I should be a bit careful and um, not to do that. However, the point of this story is it was 11 o'clock in the morning and they'd already had 6,000 people that day through vaccinated. And someone told me that I think there was over 10 of these places throughout Dubai. So you can imagine throughout the rest Just of the Emirates. Yeah. And it was yeah. just so efficient, so well done. Uh, and, and then I look back on Australia and what we've done, but I started to think, well, what reason have we got to get vaccinated? Yeah. Except the moral reason of to create an immunity that can then open up. So our government saying, oh, okay, we need 70% of the population vaccinated, or, you know, this concept of herd immunity or whatever, but we don't have any cases, Harps. So... Are we saying to our family, okay, get this, um, and then and then as this happens, we've got more light shining on these vaccines, you know, and and 
you know, if it bleeds, they read, you know, so that's, that's the media just pumping this stuff. Oh, this person, you know, one, you know, when it really look at it, one in 1 million person gets blood clots and everyone's going, okay, don't take the vaccines. And then this creates this culture because we've got no reason to, at the moment, to get vaccinated only for us. Because we're cut off from the world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like what I remember Carlos Kiros saying it to me one day, you know, the best thing about Australia is how far it is away from everything. And that's the worst thing about Australia. And this is one of those times where it's like we're living in a bubble and, and we're not seeing it. And so you sort of think, OK, is there any reason for people to get vaccinated? They don't want to travel. They're not looking far ahead. Um, you know, everything goes crazy when New South Wales gets a couple of cases. Um, <clears throat> I'm not saying we need need I, I think we just need to be sort of in touch with reality and then i'm surprised that the government sits back and goes oh we're oh, we're not getting good vaccination rates well, well it's all linked it's all linked to the opening of the borders quite clearly isn't it yeah and as you say at the moment there's no real need for the population to be vaccinated until the borders open and how long is it going to take us to prepare the populace for that moment? That's the, that's the big question. I yeah. And, and so when you went, turned up at these um, vaccination centres, and you obviously, as you suggested, well, in working for the federation, are working for the government, so you're going to get through. What about the foreign nationals who work there? In, you know, in these parts of the world, the the South Asians and the Southeast Asians who who run the remittance economy, they work on the building sites and in domestic labour and all those sorts of things throughout all the Emirates and all those parts of the Gulf. Um, and with all sorts of other stories that are sometimes attached to those to that cohort. But are they getting vaccinated as well? Yes. Are they just walking off the street to these things as well? Hundred, Don't have hundred, to just be UAE nationals? No, 100%. Anyone that's, uh, you know, and those people would be residents there. You know, they, you know they're not UAE nationals, but uh, they would they would have some form of residency and work. Yeah, uh, 100%. They're all getting vaccinated. So all those people that I, I saw in the hotels, they're all vaccinated, they're all tested. Um, yeah, it's quite incredible. Um, everyone abides by wearing a mask wherever you go. Um, we had to wear a mask on the benches, you know, when we were there inside the stadium. Uh, and, and you just get on with it. It's no, no real big deal. Yeah. My, my biggest concern was what I what I was warned about was Dubai airport was um, a bit of a, a potential hotspot. You've got to be careful of because you've got people transiting through that airport. So I remember when I left, like I was quite anxious leaving Sydney because you go to Sydney airport, there's no one there. I, yeah, I saw that you sent me a photo uh, in the customs line. And no one, line, there was absolutely no one there. No one there. Yeah. It's quite um, eerie. Yeah. And then you get onto the plane and there's, uh, I think there's 20 people on the plane, 20 people only, you know, flying from Sydney to Dubai. What was your duty-free shopping like? <laughs> well, interesting, nothing, because then, so then I, I sort of get to Dubai and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to get through this airport safe. So I even had plastic gloves on and, you know, that sort of thing. And then what, what hit me was, okay, I'm getting there. And then no one's sort of social distancing. It's not, it's not as busy as normal. And, mm. and I arrived early in the morning, but there was no one social distancing. So I was very much like, Hey, keep away. 
I was very conscious of that because I saw how people were lining up and I could see that this could be a real um, uh, difficulty, uh, but got through that, didn't do any duty for shocking, don't worry. Uh, and I don't think, uh, if I remember at Sydney Airport, I don't think anything's sort of open. Uh, and by the way, I've never understood duty-free shopping. I don't get that. I don't get the value of that. It's so part of the, it's no value. It's just part of the experience. Yeah, the, and, you, and 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 you feel like you're getting something a bit cheaper, which you're obviously not. Yeah, but it well, always you're not paying the duty, so it is cheaper, but it's it's marginal. Yeah, but it always stresses me out because you'd have to declare it and you have to do this, don't you? I don't know. So I don't. Well, anyway. When you're bringing in your two hundred mils of eau de cologne, yes, you do have to declare that. <laughs> and all, all your other, you know, man shaping and man crafting beautification products. <laughs> well, no, sorry, that was when you were the male model. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Different story back then on the yeah cabinet. yeah 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 but um the but um yeah so it, it was it was interesting and I think um the the Emirates have done it really well. <laughs> so I, I, I know and you're speaking really glowingly of your experience, but I know there was a lot of trepidation even before COVID. Even even I know you haven't enjoyed that part of the world as much as you have other parts of the world in your professional travels. Let's put it that way. And yeah. so when yeah. mm. when countries from that part of the world have reached out to you, and you, you mentioned Iran, that was different, but I know because you've told me and we've spoken, there's been other national federations in that part of the world who on occasion have reached out for your expertise and you've just never really felt that, I don't know, obliged, interested, comfortable in doing it. Yet this time seems to have really positively changed your view Um yeah, I, I don't think, uh, look, I think there was a number of things that were important. I, look, I, I, I do really like working uh, with Burtony staff. Um, and yeah, there's some, some good people there. I like, I like the challenge. I mean, that, that was definitely uh, interesting to me. Four games in a short amount of time with a team that really had to win them all. Uh, so there was a lot of pressure there. So that's How many players in the squad? Because it was unlimited. You could have picked however many you want. Yeah, that's another. Can I? I'll talk about that in a sec. We only had um, twenty-seven, and so four goalkeepers, and you know, uh, and a, a squad of twenty-seven. So with with four in the twenty-seven, yeah, so twenty-three field players, four, four goalkeepers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the normal squad for a, for a FIFA window is 20, uh, 23 with three goalkeepers. So we didn't carry more. I saw a lot of teams carrying so many extra, and. Yeah. I, I, for me, that's I think Australia had the Australian squad was I think over thirty. I think. Yeah, like I suppose they they might have done that because they had the they've got the Olympics coming up and they might have wanted to, you know, bring some extra people in to be around the squad. Um, interesting enough, the Thailand had over forty, over really? forty players. So all that rings to me is that you don't know your squad, mm. like. If you if you if you need over thirty players, do you not know your squad? Mm. You know, like do you not can you not pick a team? You know, or or you've got that that little confidence in your performance staff that you need to have all these extra players because you're going to get injuries. Um, well, that's interesting from a Thailand viewpoint. I don't know how sophisticated their sports science is. Maybe you've got a view on that. From an Australian viewpoint, if they I don't know if they were over thirty, but if, if the squad was over thirty, it wasn't by much. But it. it it might be the case that a lot of the players coming out of, in, in the Australian sense, coming out of Europe and Australia 
winter in Australia, um, might there be some margin in your in the size of your squad that you pick because of the acclimatisation issues? Because your guys um, didn't have to acclimatise. Uh, Thailand, well, actually, Dubai can get pretty humid in the in the summer too. It's not just dry heat. So, so the Thais wouldn't have had too many. In fact, the Southeast Asians generally wouldn't have had too many acclimatisation issues, not compared to uh, Aussies out of winter or North Europe. Um, look, the you know Australia. I think they might have done it because of the Olympics, and I think I think that's that's good. I mean, in Australia knows how to you know Australians and the medical and the performance stuff there they know how to how to handle the heat and all that I mean me I I want to go in with as least as possible because I want to be challenged mm. I mean who wants to have 50 players to look after you know mm. I, I think well, that's a challenge in itself knowing what footballers are like like, like that's a crazy challenge so I, I think Thailand I, I don't know what they were doing. It was really surprising. When I heard that, I thought all I, all I could think of was, how do you do that? I mean, yeah. imagine training. So, well, that's uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, it's interesting what you say, as much as you're acclimatized to the heat and, and in Dubai, Dubai is very humid. So what happens is as the, as the night comes in, the humidity goes up. So the temperature might drop back to, you know, so most of the times we played, it was 36, 37 degrees, but then you've got like 70% humidity in the day. That's, that's killer. That's killer humidity. It is. It is very, very, very difficult. Uh, however, you put things in place, but then again, you're right, because the, the guys there, the, that's what they play in, that's what they live in. So they're, they're a bit more adapted. I mean, you were with me one day when I think it's still one of the greatest uh, games I've been involved. One of the greatest wins by a team I think I've ever been involved with was when Australia beat uh, UAE 1-0 in Abu Dhabi when Tim Cahill scored. I'll never forget that game because those conditions were outrageous. We only had two days to adapt, so there was no adaptation. And some of the performances by the players on that day, I never forget Ryan McGowan at halftime. He, he, I don't even know if he knew really where he was um, with the heat. I think he was still playing in Scotland in those days, but that was real Aussie sort of, uh, you know, ticket. Well, this, this, this was the famous night, the win, of course, when Ange was standing on the sideline with his shirt saturated, with the, yeah. just finished in sweat, um, which then Fox Sports uh, very cannily um auctioned off Ange's sweaty shirt. They made a bit of a deal. It was quite funny. Uh, we're going to talk about Ange, not today, but um, a bit later because of the, the, the great news around him. But that, that, that match, just as an aside, was classic Ange because a lot of coaches go into that scenario with two days of preparation, guys out of Europe, Scotland for sake. Um, and a lot of coaches, very understandably, would have said, you know what? Let's not test the conditions. We'll just sit in, conserve energy, and and we'll try and navigate our way through. And the total flip side of that is Ange Postacoglu, who yeah. says, I'm, we're going to play at high speed, not, not because of this game. We're going to play at high speed because of the games down the track. And if, the, if, if my players look at me, and find an excuse not to perform because of the heat against uh, UAE away, then when we make the World Cup, those same players are going to look 
for an excuse for me as to why we can't beat France in the World Cup opener. Yeah. And I'm not prepared to give them that, that, that opportunity. So with two days preparation, with no day preparation, if you're getting straight off the plane and going to the stadium in, in, um, in Abu Dhabi, we're going full tilt. And it yeah. was an amazing night. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And when you're working in performance for Ange, you're not thinking that you're not. So all I'm thinking of is, okay, what can I do to make this the best possible situation? Because we're going that hard. So, you know, I remember that meant, you know, okay, what can be done in the drinks breaks? What can be done at halftime? You know, what to minimize fatigue leading into the game? I'll, I'll never forget that game, Harps, because two nights before the game, I went for a run at game time. Okay, so I just thought, okay, I'll go for a, gun, a run so I can feel, you know, this humidity. And it was in August, I think. So the humidity is even higher then. That game was probably played in 85% humidity. And I just went for this run and all I could think of was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't, do not know how we're going to do this because I sort of got back and was hard to breathe. It was just, and, you know, I'm just running my pace. And then I thought, Oh, this is this is the worst I've ever felt. So I never let that on because a lot of this is psychological, you know, that you've got to make sure that the players know that you guys are ready for this, that you've got every every box ticked. And um, it was just a it was just a great game and great uh, typical Timmy Cahill. Like I warmed him up on the side. Uh, someone from the crowd had a go at him. He went over to that person and said. I am going to go on and score and I will come back to you and tell you that you just uh, did this to your, your country basically. <laughs> and, and literally he was on five minutes and he scored and, and he did. <laughs> and uh, it was just, just him at his best, but yeah. So the conditions, the conditions I was just in were really tough, but again, you just psychologically get over it. You, you, you know, we put some good things in place uh, with the national team, you know, the UAE guys, um, you know, just monitoring fatigue and working working with our, our systems. Uh, but how do you, so, so let, let me just interject there. You monitor, monitor all this stuff. That's great. You mm. get the information in. And if players are fatiguing, mm. what do you do about that? Because, okay, there's one thing to do the monitoring and be able to track them. How do you turn it around? Because on the other hand, you've got to make sure players aren't fatigued on game day. So what sort of things, uh, what sort of variables can you manipulate well, to, well, to, to, you, to alter that? Well, okay. So, so you know, in our work, you, you pay close attention to how the player, player is coping under the program that you're putting in place. So then, then what you do is if they're, you know, if they are fatigued, if they're outside that zone that you think, okay, this is where they should be, then you've got to adapt training. You've got to reduce training. You might have to throw more recovery at them. You've got to look at that. It could be even that, hang on, this player for this game might need modification. They, they might not be able to play that 90 minutes. Is there a situation where we can get to 60 minutes and, and we're in, in that uh, in that place where we can rest that player, you know, after that. So all that information keeps going, going into the analysis and giving that insight to the coach. That's what I see my job as. Um, but yeah, the things that you can do are, okay, training is this, 
but this is where the players are. You know, they, they are more, more fatigued than we expected. Let's really bring that training sessions down. So you've got to remember when we're doing these games is, okay, we play the first game. The, the next day is recovery. Then you've got game day minus two, minus one game. So you've got to go, okay, that recovery day, let's, let's really do that very well. Game day minus two, we've got to be careful now because that's a tactical day. We, we, we've got to manage that. And then, okay, you've got the first game and then you've got the second game. So fatigue is not accumulating as much. So that game day minus two session and game day minus one session might look very different to what it is before the third or the fourth game. So it's staying in tune with that data and adjusting that and not throwing more fatigue on the players. Because the question is, is this training session, you know, is the outcomes of this training session going to, you know, be positive or negative with the overall thing is all we care about is winning. Um, so that's, that's where you've got to, got to manage it and think, okay, where can rotations be to identify players that are really in that red zone? And it's your key players, isn't it? You've got to really manage your key, key players that, um, you know, does Bert Bert tell you which are the players say he really wants you to keep an eye on because they're the players he might be relying on or Uh, or do you look at all the data and come up with your own things? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I being in. You know, I, I yes, definitely there was certain players that were very, very important uh, to him. But I also know with Bert is that he likes to play his starting 11 um, the same. And he did that with the Australian national team. If you remember, we only used 15 players at the World Cup. Yeah, so, controversially so, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, we only, only used 15 with the same starting 11 except when Andrew Naboo got injured for that third game, same substitutions, uh, except that Timmy Cahill um, played minutes in that last last game against Peru. So he wants his team very healthy. The, the way Bert works is pretty much to say, okay, I need this many sessions with the, the team, you know, in the training camp leading up. I need them to be healthy for this. This is what I need. And um, we go from there. He, he's actually very good to work with. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's, he's a, yeah, I, I, I enjoy from my perspective of the work I do. He's, uh, he's very good. Um, and I think he's, he's excellent at managing, um, managing people and also excellent at managing different cultural expectations because right. they're, they're extensive, but you, you know, you need to be very respectful of culture, uh, wherever you work. And, uh, right. and that was particularly with this team. And, uh, over the four games, to a greater or lesser extent, did he play the same eleven? Yes. And then the substitutions were all virtually pro forma as well. Yeah. No, I think they. Uh, I was looking at some things today. I, I think against Indonesia, there was a few, uh, a few different ones. And remember, at this stage in world football, you can have five substitutions. Uh, yes, which is something you've railed against. You hate it because it reduces your challenge. Um, what's your view on that now that you've had four games in 12 days? Are you happy for the five subs? Well, well uh, Bert didn't use them always. You know, he, I think he only did, I only, he only made one, one substitution in the first game, one or two, maybe a couple in the second game. He made a few more in the third game because that was the one where we, we were up against Indonesia and we, we were in a situation to get some players off. So he might have made the full gamut of substitutions there. And I don't think <clears throat> he would have made them in the fourth game. 
So I'm pretty happy about that because, you know, like, uh, I mean, uh, yeah. So, I mean, does this sort of, it's very interesting to, to hear that you, you made that assessment of the way Bert manages things. And that's your recollection of Australia too. And I remember the 2018 uh, Russia World Cup, you know, it just, it caused a lot of angst amongst fans and observers that, that the, the process was so pro forma and that Timmy Cow didn't get more football, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what is that? You've worked now closely with him through these two very intense periods. Is it, what, is that just stubbornness? Is that, uh, does that indicate a lack of flexibility or is that just his method? Once he's, once he's decided upon his team, then that's what he invests his time in. Yeah, definitely not. I don't, I don't have never thought that he was stubborn or anything like that. I think he's very thoughtful and has very good people around him. I think in this situation that the, that the players were doing well and they were still healthy, you know, so, and I think he had that good information coming to him. There wasn't really any period of time where I thought, oh, okay, you know, just from a physical point of view, it'd be good to get that person person off. And when that did come up, it was in the Indonesian game. You know, if we could get some, you know, some less minutes for a couple of players there, that it was going to help us against Vietnam in the final game. So yeah. he, yeah. he, I've actually come away even like, oh, I was impressed with them before. I've come away more impressed because the football that this team was playing was very impressive yeah right yeah very very impressive um I, I was just looking at some stats now of the entire in i think the entire campaign across all the teams that were um in that you know every every team i think there was eight groups wasn't there or or maybe more yeah. groups um and the stats was that uae had the most passes completed out of any team and that's including yeah, japan right. Yeah, so so the football he's he's installed in them since he's been back has been really positive. It's whether they can continue doing that for ninety minutes, um, and it makes a lot of sense to me how how he wants to play. Uh, yeah. And the UAE players are technically technically um, yeah very very good that you would remember you know yeah, like, yeah, um, sure. from previous. No, no, no problem. Mm. What about athletically? What are they like as athletes? Um, did you test them? What did you do? You, were you privy to any testing results? Do they test? Um, yeah, um, look, the they, they have tested in the past. I think that needs to be, uh, you know, it's something that I would like to see put in across the federation—a testing policy, you know, from the the young, um, young up, up all the all the way through the through the federation. Um, from a, a testing perspective, you know, this time you've got to look at it and think okay, is it worth doing any, any testing here with what we're doing? Because we've got such a short time frame. We've got four games to, to get through. Sure. I've also uh, worked out yep. that there's methods of testing without testing by just looking at training data as well. Um, I think uh, that definitely physically there's improvements to be made uh, in, that, in that region. I think in some uh, in some areas. However, in saying that, they are very good at, at doing what they have to do. If that makes sense, you know, like to play the game that needs to be played, and 
and they are there's definitely like Ali McBoot is you know is quite a legend you know mm -hmm. in the Asian region as a mm -hmm. as a scorer I think he scored well over 70 goals mm -hmm. um for them and it was interesting but and the staff would say um can you imagine if we had uh this player in the Australian team at the World Cup there is no mm -hmm. doubt in their mind that we would have got through the first stage mm -hmm. no doubt you know and Ali McBoot just scores and mm -hmm. um and he's an interesting one because he mightn't cover enormous amount of distance on the field but when he when he goes and when he when he works he's quick he's fast he's strong and he knows how to score he's he's just a great great player so you've got some you've got some very good players there mm. did um when you when you walked into camp and you saw Bert and and Mark Van Bommel and were there big hugs and misty eyes and how to be an old friend or they you know are they do they get a bit nostalgic for Australia and and the old times well, Mark's not there. So Mark, Mark is um, coaching. Uh, he's just yeah. been announced the coach as Wolfsburg. Right. So he wasn't there. But definitely, definitely, it was really good to good to see them all. And everyone has good memories of Australia. Mm. You know, they they talk about that campaign. They still uh, they still talk about that. You know, we should have got something out of the French game. You know, yeah. that, that Tommy Urich was brought down. They thought that was should still be a send-off. You know, if you remember when Tommy Urich yeah. broke away there, they, yeah. they thought that should have been a send-off. They were all so impressed with the um, Australian tenacity and and the preparation of that team and going into that. They, they still feel probably disappointed that it didn't get further. Um, than, than what it does, but they've only got positive things about to, to say about all of Australia. Um, and, uh, you know, Bert, Bert has a right-hand man, uh, Taka, who, you know, does some work in the coaching staff, but does some work in logistics and, and it's just like he's right-hand man and, and uh, he's fantastic in everything that he does. And yeah, he, they, they, I, I would talk to him a lot and they just have a good experience you know, and, and talk very highly of Australia. Yeah, and, and so, still still follow um, yeah. some of the players. Because you remember they brought um, Aziz Beige and Trent Sainsbury to, to PSV. Yeah. yeah. So they they keep keep track and, you know, they're interested what, you know, like a Daniel Azani, how he, you know, because they gave him a really good start in, yeah. in world football there and yeah. interested to see what's happening there. And he... He had played in Holland and they're interested, you know, just, yeah. So they're actually really good people and uh, really, really good, um, good, good people to work with. And yeah, very positive about Australia. So, so what about yourself? Tell us about your own transformation when you go there, because again, you know, um, it wasn't a part of the world that you were particularly looking to rush back to. And I remember you had some very, very funny, because uh, you're involved with Ange and the national team and that cycle up to 2018, which included the Asia Cup in 2015, which mm. included Australia playing the UAE in a semi-final in Newcastle for the Asian Cup. Um, and <laughs> so I'm wondering how you've, uh, the transformation from Dr. Craig, from, from the head of sports science at the Socceroos, preparing to play against the UAE and what you gathered about them ex as an experience in Newcastle, and then how you took that to the UAE, because that Newcastle thing was was actually pretty funny. 
Well, and and you know what? I I, talk, I talked about that to to some of the UAE staff because I was saying, yeah. and I think that was like I'll just recap that story a little bit. You know, it was like eleven o'clock at night. I think if it was the night before the game against UAE, we we're playing them in a semi final, or um, maybe it was the the following night. I can't remember exactly, but we're walking. Uh, we're staying in the same hotel. And um, I was walking along the strip uh, there and I, was, I saw a couple of the UAE players sort of out, just out and, uh, out and about, walking about and stuff. And then, and then when, I, when I went back to my, my room that night, I was hearing some like noise down, 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 you know, just people talking, nothing, nothing, nothing really happening, but just like good conversation and laughing. And it's probably about midnight at this time. And I looked down and there's like the UAE staff and the players and they're sort of fishing off the side of the, <laughs> the, the side of the, the wharf there, fishing. you know, but just, yeah, just sort of, I, I saw them like with a couple with a line in. And but how did you know they were UAE staff? Well, they had their tracksuits on. <laughs> so, so I, I just thought, okay. Well, and yeah. our players are all tucked up and, you know, we're so, we're so strict and, and this sort of stuff. So I'm thinking, Okay, this is this is not great preparation. Um, but now I really realized because I, 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 I mentioned this to to a couple of people. And oh by the way, the UAE people love Australia because some of them had been there in 215 and would show me photos. They actually had a camp on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Um, and um, just how wonderful it was and spoke so highly of them. Of, of our you know of our country and um of that game we talked about that game and i told them that story but then i started to realize this was my typical of an australian brought up where we're from thinking you know it's only our way you know and and not being that culturally diverse and to realize well is our way the right way okay it works for us because that's we sleep at those sort of times but when you understand the UAE culture, um, that they they sleep late, they eat late, and then they sleep in differently to us. So I suppose it's been, you know, it's happened because of the heat. And so that's how, how they live their life. So now I fully sort of get it. And as far as a football... Now, over in the UAE, you're, you're up at the, at the start of the camp in the UAE, you're up tapping your tapping your fingers on the table at eight o'clock, wondering where everyone is. And they're, they're sleeping until midday. That's right. And, <laughs> and, and, the, and the thing is, so normally with an Australian team, you know, uh, we would, or even a Japanese team or any of the, you know, some, you know, different teams that I've worked with from different countries, um, that our work would be done pre-breakfast, you know, so we would gather all this data as they awake and then, then there's uh, breakfast <clears throat> and that's how you go. Where in this situation, you know, breakfast is open. So if the staff want to eat breakfast, uh, you know, they can. Um, however, you know, that, that first meal where we come together a group is, you know, like 1 p.m. And so we would set up from like 11.30 um before then to get that information which was more on awakening now our stuff is sort of set up so you know one of the things they need to do is you know it's when they awake 
you know, that they do it. So they're not all wakening up at that time. But remember- oh, hang, on, hang, hang on, take us into the- So what happens? A player wakes up and the first thing they see is you. No, no. The thermometer. No, 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 Ready no, no. Ready to plunge it up some orifice or something. No, no, no. No, we have things pretty much automated now. So we either use stuff like like that ring I've got on here, which means- you you sort of know when they're when they're awake and that data will come in i'm just trying to find it for you i just held up the aura ring um which is o-u-r-a ring um and then you know that can give data you know so like data on, Hang on that's a digital ring is it that's collect that rings collecting information yeah it's collecting you know um a whole bunch of information based on sort of heart rate and 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 that and movement it's got what's it made out of is it plastic what, what what's going on here i've never heard of this no it's um i've been wearing it every day that you come and see me but you're you're always I thought, too I thought you're always you too focused on your protein bars i thought it meant you were married you idiot no that's this one all right <laughs> so one's for superpowers right yeah, so it's made, it's a beautiful ring, actually. It's made out of, I think, titanium, so it's nice. Right, right. Um, you either have that or or we have another one where they just pick up their phone and go to an app and um, do a little measurement with that, and that comes in, and then they put some data for us, and we get them to do that when they sort of first wake up. So um, that's so, great. So let's get, um, the, the ring's got me. The ring's really got me. So what does it, what, what does it pick up? Like, what is it? It well, it picks up your... it picks up your heart rate, okay. So it picks up, you know, you've got pulse coming out of your finger. So it picks yeah. up that. Look, I'm gonna take and it, it off. Then what, it, and then what it, how do you download it? It goes by Bluetooth. It's a Bluetooth ring, is it? A Bluetooth ring. So you don't download anything. It's just you know you wake up in the morning, and it's just in the system. Goes into our system. It's all. Per I mean, that's the, you know, monitoring. That's my my vision that it really takes out any any of these barriers for people to do anything that all they have to do is wear the ring and charge it every few days and we get that information um the other one you is measure how well they sleep through that ring yeah how like if their heart rates at a certain level yeah yeah hour. yeah well and then the algorithms based by this organization to you know to create and so basically it can give you total sleep you know your sleep efficiency how restful you've been because you know, it's got an accelerometry to it. So it picks up any movement. So if you're tossing and turning, it picks up that, um, you know, it's got your, uh, you know, your deep sleep, your, your dream sleep and all that. So it picks up that. That's probably not as accurate as all the heart rate stuff and, and that. But, I, you know, there's studies on it, um, studies using the ring, um, you know, validating it and looking at the reliability of it. So it's a really, really good piece of technology. Wow, there you go, Dr. Craig, the Lord of the Ring, hey? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's um, they've they've done really well. So that's how. So they don't need to see me. They don't need to see me until they they come down to lunch, and then we set up. And I had a a fantastic um, group that I was working with there. Uh, a shout out to Davor and Egid. Uh, Egid uh, was. Um, he uh, has had a wonderful career in Holland, you know, with the Dutch national team, PSV, fantastic physical coach and, you know, physiotherapist. And Davor worked for the Federation. Um, he was from Croatia originally. And so Davor and I would be there before they actually went into lunch, 
just to go over their data, to see them. And then that's when you create your report and then have meetings after that to see how the players are tracking. So that was all very new for UAE. Right. But not for BERT, obviously. No, because that's what we did with the soccer roots. Did so, you have the rings in Russia? Not the rings. I had other, uh, I had other tech then at that stage. Right. Right. Um, so I'm always, over the years, I've, I've used it all because I've always tried to be on that sort of edge. And yeah. then by being, and then picking up on the technology and then building relationships with these companies to work with their, you know, their devices and, um, and, you know, look at how it works in a sporting environment. Because yeah. obviously long-term their environment isn't sport. You know, mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, it's mainstream population. So, but sport um, can get some really interesting data. So Bert and particularly Rule Koomans, who's his uh, right-hand coach, um, I worked very closely with, with the Socceroos. So he was, he was used to the, all that sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah. So technically you reckon the players are pretty good and... Personally, you found them very nice to be with, and tactically they're pretty astute. Um, what's the mentality like of the OE players? What was their discipline like? What was their compliance like, if I can put it that way? Were they hard to organise, hard to manage? Do they have attitude? Or were they pretty happy to fall in line with what Bert wanted to do? Yes, they had a great deal of respect for Bert. Um, they're very respectful people. You know, you've got to got to remember that an integral part of their day is um, uh, like this is the thing you you understand when you work with Middle Eastern teams of just that you know God plays a big part in the day. You know, because there's yeah. there's prayer times. I think it's five times um, during yeah. during the day. Yeah. Um, so they're very. Um, uh, you know that's a that's a big part of their life, and you you feel that. So they're very uh, kind, kind people, and respectful people, uh, and very respectful of Bert. They, you know, you know, harps what it is. Players need to understand that you're there to service and to help them. So I mm. I just don't go in and throw my stuff at them and here you go. No, yeah, we. We had a number of meetings with the staff, with the players. You know, first with the staff, this is what we're doing. This is why we do it, you know, like the, you know, the more local staff. But then I want to meet with the players. This is who I am. This is what I want to do. This is why I'm here. We're here to win these games. This is why this could help us. So they understand because I want them to be starting to be interested in their own data. So, you know, they're not always going to have Craig Duncan there. I want them to be the best they can be. And I think this is an area that can really, really help them. Right. And so we, you know, we had a meeting, um, you know, with the players and then had another meeting to explain things all along the way. I, I suppose that's my education background. I, I think too much in sports science. We just go, no, we're doing it this way yeah. because this is the way. Oh, Really? And then we wonder why we have problems. Mm. No, and, and I think that's why I've worked across so many cultures because I go in cap in hand going, okay, I'm here to serve. You know, this is, mm. this is why I'm here. Mm. It's not about me. It's about, mm. okay, what's going to work here? And that's why it's good having good people around you as well. Even, even there, 
like going, okay, um, oh, here's an instance for you. You know, I love data, okay? And, you know, GPS, I've, I've used GPS since 2002. And, you know, match data is really, you know, you know, it's important because it's a piece of the puzzle. You get the data from training and you get the data from matches. If you're fortunate, you there's camera-based systems now, so you don't need to wear the GPS in games. Um, but um, that wasn't in place in this in this small little tournament. So you've got to look at it and go, okay, for people that don't know, a G GPS is held in a... Um, like a neoprene sort of vest that goes under, under the shirt and then the, the GPS unit goes in the back. Now we're playing in 36 degree heat and you're playing in 70% humidity and you're a player, Harps, are you gonna want a, a vest underneath your shirt? Yeah. Where, where I know as a scientist, a sports scientist, that that is holding the heat in. Yeah. However, then I've got the battle in my mind as a, on the other science side of things is I want to see the data, mm. you know? So then you know the right answer there, but having good people around you to go, you know, is this the well, right What answer? is the right answer? <laughs> what is the right answer? Well, the right answer... Keep the GPS on. No. So we use... The GPS was always used for training because that, that doesn't matter. So you're getting all that information. I used the GPS. We had one trial game against Jordan. Interesting enough, Australia played Jordan. We played Jordan, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before Australia played them. So we played Jordan and the first game, we had a first game against Malaysia. They used the GPS in those, those games, but it was... Under your recommendation. Yes. But then after that, I knew in my heart that this is not, you know, that we're, I've got enough data now. Okay, because then I can look at that data from the game and I could look at some of the analysis, the tactical data, and I could st stay with it. Do you know what I mean? I could build a, a case because I was looking and going, this is compromising performance by them wearing this vest because it's increasing their heat. It's increasing their body temperature. So it's, a, it's compromising performance. Now, do I want to compromise performance because of my ego because i want to get data that's just insane isn't it so it still it nearly gets back to the covid situation you know do we want to keep covid you know is the is the outcome better than the solution you know uh, not to trivialize covid but you know it's that, that question you've always got to go back and ask yourself and when you've got good people like Egid and uh davor and you can bounce these things off just so you know you know like when you can come and say i know this is the right thing not to do what do you guys think and of course you know they were both like you know i remember he could saying to me I, I just don't think it's right that we we wear this and you know it's absolutely right not to wear it so really if i look at any teams playing in that heat you know in game three game four wearing gp particularly game four wearing gps you'd have to really question the stuff because you'd go what are you doing game four it's yeah. the final game you're not going to make any decisions yeah. based on that so yeah, so yeah, 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 you know, yeah. that's one of those things that you've got to be really and and yeah. but then you put it to the players because some of the players might be used to doing GPS, but the the reaction from the players was thank you, thank you. You know, yeah, you right. really don't have. Yeah, to I don't think that I don't think wearing those 
I don't think wearing those GPS units is particularly popular. It was certainly predated my football, but I think it, it, firstly, they took a while to get accepted by FIFA and I still don't think yeah. the players are that, oh, no, it's, that far. It's not the answer for games. You know, we mm. should, in Australia, we should have a camera-based solution. We should have a league-wide deal for games. You as a, a broadcaster should be able to get that information. I mean, it just shocks me that we don't have this in place. Um, for the cost, <clears throat> okay, you know, the, the, the deal that we could get done here, we're not talking a million dollars, you know, where it used to be that expensive, where, you know, yeah. it's a really, it would be really well done and it would definitely, if a broadcasting for a whole range of things, it would be excellent. So I'm shocked that we don't have it here. Um, and it's something for game day. Like I'm a GPS supporter, but it's a training solution. I don't think it's a match day solution. I've never met a player that wants to wear a GPS unit on match day. No, 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 no. I think that 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 sentiment still echoes. So you get through. Yes. In their last game, and interestingly, I don't know if you're keeping an eye on it, but Iran nearly didn't make it. Like your other favourite country, and they needed to beat Iraq in the last game. Who were top of the group? To get into the qualifi next qualification, it's incredible to even conceive for a moment that Iran wouldn't get through this stage of qualifying. Thankfully, they have. But I'd love to know what's going on there. Unbelievable. Um, they were in the same situation as UAE in a much easier group, though. I mean, they had a you know UAE had a tougher group. Iran had Iraq's good, um, yeah. and Iraq were on top. They had Cambodia who they beat, I think they beat 11 or 12 nil. And I think they had Hong Kong. So they had a really, uh, they must've had someone else as well, but um, they are oh, Bahrain. So they, they had a, a pretty, pretty easy group. I mean, they always have trouble against Iraq, but it was, it was incredible that they got to that point. I think they'd had some coaching changes in that first stage, a bit of disruption, but they came through quite strong, but yes, they, like, you know, they only beat Iraq 1-0. Uh, so that could have gone gone either way. For such a very good team, uh, it was surprising because they're, um, they're one of the highest-ranked teams in Asia. If you look yeah. at the yeah, draw, well they, you, you draw. They're joined, um, yep. they're joined with uh, Japan in pot A, so uh, Australia can't get both of them but can get one of them, will get one of them. Yeah, I was talking to the Australians the other day. I, I was interested. I saw the Australian coach mentioned that he would love to get Iran. Yeah. I would think, no, you don't. I mean, you know, well, I, I well, suppose... Well, it's them that, or Japan. Yeah. He, he wasn't talking about it as a them or Japan. He was talking about a, a, a personal interest project uh, on behalf of the country and turning the 97 well, uh, MCG match around. That's the last time... Australia. Yeah. Well, I remember. Asia. Yeah, I remember when I was working with them in 2019. It could have been a chance somehow we could have met up. I, you know, I didn't really want that to happen because you know your own nation, and you're working with another nation. And to be to be honest, um, in 2019, I I don't think Australians would have liked the outcome of that game. Mm -hmm. You know, like with what I saw. And what I saw of Australia, um, people mightn't like me saying that. Mm. Oh my goodness, I don't think it it would not have been close, mm. <laughs> you know. Wouldn't have ended um, well. Mm. Yeah. However, um, in saying that now, I think the Australians have been quite impressive. Um, 
you know, with eight, I mean, I see they're saying eight wins from eight games, which is yeah. which is really good. You'd ex- you'd expect that. I think when we went through that period, you know, a similar draw. I think it was seven wins from eight games. You know, we lost against Jordan. Mm. Um, in Jordan, big difference. Yes, but uh, Australia beat Jordan um, in Jordan this time, so that was a no win. in Q eight in Q eight. No, but then I think they played them in Jordan in the first round, Hubs. Oh, so that was Australia's home game this one, was it? Yes, yes. So okay. I, I remember. Oh, fair play. Yeah. So even better, yeah. I remember. Yeah, no, the, team, the team did well. Yeah, and look, I think um, I, I saw an interview with Trent Sainsbury saying, you know, people don't understand how tough it is to play in that environment against those teams, and he's absolutely, absolutely right. Um, interesting enough, <clears throat> we... Um, we played the Jordan team with the UAE team and look, it was before the tournament and, you know, they were quite, quite strong um, in some ways, but I think we scored five goals against them. So, um, but it was a different environment on a better pitch. So I think Australia's done pretty, pretty yeah. well. And it seems like they're, they've got some good young players coming through. Definitely look dangerous. Yeah. On set yeah, I think it was. Pieces. Mm. Yeah, I, I think they were very impressive, actually. Very difficult. Everyone was saying it, and I think most people are finally, after all this time, starting to accept that how, how difficult these uh, trips are. This was a particularly difficult one because of the COVID restrictions, etc. You'll you find yourself now, though, back in the same boat. So as we, as we wrap this up, um, Australia could get drawn against Iran, but that won't affect you because you're not with... Kerosh and Iran any longer. No, because Carlos is Carlos is not with Iran. So yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but but you have just helped the UAE through to the next phase of qualifying, and Australia could easily draw UAE in their next yeah. group. So yeah. what are your plans? Is the invite open to you from the UAE Federation and Bert Van Marwijk to continue in the project? Well, look, we're we're talking about you know, talking about that now and what that looks like. I mean, you know, I think I sort of said to you, I, it was an interesting thing. You know, we had to beat Vietnam and obviously that was a big thing because then we went through to the next stage. So then things, things start to change. I literally, because there's not many planes coming back to Australia, I literally, we beat Vietnam. We had a, had a, you know, five minute sort of celebration, you know, I, I, hugged the, the staff, you know, goodbye. And they had a car waiting for me to race me to the airport in my gear. So it was sort of like uh, the quickest I've ever got through Dubai airport because I was in UAE team gear. The UAE team had just won. So the country was happy and they were nearly high-fiving me along immigration. So it was, uh, was quite good. So um, yeah, look, I think all the plans are there, but, you know, because of our, um, our um, forward-thinking prime minister, um, what you know, what what's going to happen? Am, am I going to go over for a FIFA window, and every time I come back, I get um, get locked up in quarantine for two weeks? You know, at, at this stage, I mean, I don't know how that can how that can happen. So I've got to sort of look at that and and see what that all looks at. I mean, but you want to do it? Sounds like. It sounds like you want to do it. Doesn't sound like you're going to be able to on that basis because quarantine's not going away, is it? Yeah, no, I I don't know um, what what it would look like. Yeah, look, I'd happy to be very happy to be involved in some stage. Uh, oh, like in some 
you know, in some way, whatever that looks like. They've also got, uh, which I didn't realize until I was over there, that the Confederations Cup that I did with Australia, um, you know, as the precursor to World Cup, has right. been replaced in Qatar by an Arab Cup. Right. So UAE are part of that, which is in December. Um, so there's a few things going on. I, and look, I think the team, oh, I think the team has a lot of potential, um, you know, and, and is, is good. It would be an interesting one to work with. They, I mean, they haven't made the, obviously they'd be a super underdog to make the World Cup. Um, and if you talked about getting in Australia's group, um, you know, like that's, that's a big challenge because, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's not like Iran where Iran is ranked higher than, you know, than Australia. It's very much a, a you know, a challenge, you know, uh, Australia is very much a favorite in that game. Uh, so it'd be an interesting one. And, um, and also, it's what we're into 2021. I haven't been with the Australian team for three years. It's still my nation, but yeah. you know, it's um, you know, it's sort of sort of different. Just becomes a game, you know, yeah. um, <clears throat> that you that you play. So I don't have any reservations about that. Like, I, whoever I'm working for, that's the team I'm I'm well, hoping well, wins. Yeah. yeah. Will you decamp? Is it a possibility that you might decamp to Dubai so that you don't have to come back through quarantine? Yeah, well, that's definitely a family decision, you know, and, um, you know, I'm, my family's my, my real focus. I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of, exp I've, I've had great experiences in sport and we've been able to be, you know, had good success. And I think now, you know, working with so many different countries, I've been very lucky, but for me, you know, I'm like you, Harps, um, it, uh, you know, my family comes first, the, you know, that sort of lifestyle thing. So it would definitely depend on, on what my family, my family thinks. Mm. Well, that was fascinating, mate. It's great to have you back uh, in the country, if under lock and key. Um, <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> look forward to seeing you in the flesh, but congratulations on your success with the UAE. And um, mate, thanks for those yarns. It was really, really interesting. <laughs> thanks Harps. speak soon mate bye yep thanks for listening i really hope you enjoyed that it was an enjoyable experience working with uae i'm still in quarantine now but coping quite well many of you might be in lockdown particularly if you're listening from sydney i think the best way to get through any of these times is maintain good routines and i know that's what's got me through these uh, these days in quarantine, locked up in one room, keeping some exercise going, sleeping well, eating well, reflecting, having some meditation as well as enhanced my ability to cope with any anxiety that I have. So I wish you well. And as always, go and make the world a better place. Mm -hmm.